0: We're going to look at Psalm 1. We're going to start a short series here on focus. I'm, I'm calling this short series Focus. And today we're going to look at a focused life in Psalm 1. If you look up the definition in the dictionary of what focus means, it means the center of interest or activity. The state or quality, or second definition, the state or quality of having or producing clear visual definition focus when i've gone to the optometrist to get my eyes examined so that i could get glasses or contacts they put these lenses over my face and they have me look at these these letters on a chart to see where my vision is and their goal is to correct my vision to get 2020 vision so that I can see things clearly, that I can have clear vision and see what's around me and what's in front of me and so that I don't hurt myself and so that I can enjoy ultimately what's going on in this world around me. And so in 2020, okay, 2020, It's my desire this year that we focus in on who God is, that through his word and through giving ourselves to pursuit of him in prayer, that we would get a clear vision of who the God of the Bible is, the one true God is, and a clear vision in 2020 for what his will is for our lives that we would know clearly that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will as Paul prayed for the Colossians. In Colossians 1, that we would know that we'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Or in Ephesians 1, as as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the hope of their calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, or the power that works towards us who believe. May God give us clear 2020 spiritual vision in 2020, okay? And so we're going to have a couple of messages that are going to help center us on the main thing, namely, or the main one, namely God. And we're going to focus in on a relationship with Him. Because here at City Church, we prioritize. It's our vision to know Jesus. To know the Lord intimately and accurately. To have a real vibrant relationship with God. A saving relationship. A relationship that, as J.I. Packer says, is designed to thrill the human heart. A relationship with God, a true saving relationship with God changes the, the trajectory of our lives. It changes the passions of our hearts and the priorities of how we spend our time and resources. changes everything for us. And in Psalm 1, we have a beautiful picture of a focused life. We have, we have a beautiful picture of a godly focused life and we have a picture of an ungodly life that is being blown around by the winds and the whims of this world. Okay? So Psalm 1, actually, uh, let me just also say this. What if I told you that 2020 could be one of the most fruitful, effective years for you? Because it can be. What if I told you that in 2020, regardless of what's going to happen for you or what's going on in our country or in the world, that in 2020, you can thrive and flourish in your relationship with God and experience greater love, greater joy, greater rest and peace, greater effectiveness in whatever God has called you to do with your hands and, and, and the vocation that you're in, greater success in relationships. What if I told you that in 2020 you could have all that? Because you can. And the Bible gives us a clear path for what that life looks like in His Word. So Psalm 1, verse 1. David said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. The life of a godly person is a focused life that has its direction from God's word, delight in God's word, and dominating influence from God's word. The life of a godly person is a focused life that has its direction from God's word, its delight in God's word, and, and dominating influence from God's word. Okay. Now, the psalmist has this approach that that's all throughout the Bible, and it's or this this um, uh, these these two paths described. That's all throughout the Bible, specifically in the book of Proverbs. We have the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked, the godly and the ungodly. And we see this throughout the Bible. Those who follow God and God's path for their lives and those who reject God's path for their life. See, there's only two paths really that each of us are on. And though some may want a third path as an option, a more moderate, more, quote, balanced type of life uh, that's neutral. The Bible doesn't give us a third option. There's two paths that we 're all on it 's either the path of the righteous or the path of the wicked. Jesus talked about this in matthew seven he said there 's a way that leads to life that 's narrow and difficult, and there 's a way that leads to destruction that 's broad, and many go there. Warren Weersby says this: Bible history seems to be built around the concept of two men: the first Adam and the last Adam, Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, David and Saul. And Bible history culminates in Christ and Antichrist. Two men, two ways, two destinies. And I hope that everybody's on the path of the righteous here. That everybody's following the path that Proverbs 4.18 says that the path of the righteous is like the, the sun shining brighter and brighter unto noonday. I hope that describes your life and the path that you're on. But unfortunately, that's not true of every single person. We're going to look at what the godly person, what his path looks like. Verse one tells us that he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners and he doesn't see sit in the seat of scorn of scorners. The godly person has a focused direction in life. He has a purpose, he has a vision, he knows or she knows where they are going. And it's not with people that are going nowhere. It's not with people who are going to distract them and pull them away from the purposes of God. It starts off with this beatitude, blessed or happy Jesus started off his sermon in Matthew five with this blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is following the advice or not following the advice of wicked people, of worldly people, of people who don't regard God, who don't love God, who don't treasure God. And in our day, you don't have to merely be in the presence of an ungodly person to be influenced by them. Because of technology, we have screens, philosophical, theological, and ideological. Ideas that are piped in to our living rooms and even to our very hands on little screens that influence our mind. And many of those images and many of those thoughts and many of those philosophies are ungodly. And many of us let our children just... Just watch them and engage, unfortunately, right? But godly parents want to protect their children from these ungodly influences, the counsel of the wicked, the advice of the wicked that leads astray. This is a great verse, by the way, for children to memorize. Do we have any children who have Psalm 1 memorized here? We got one, Raiden? Okay, anybody else? I'm not going to ask you to quote it, but if you know it, or if you have memorized Okay, we got three people. Parents, this, we know this is a great chapter to teach our children. Learn this. Learn this, son, daughter, because there's two paths in life. There's gonna be people in school, people at the playground, people in this world that are gonna try to give you ungodly advice and lead you astray. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. There's a progression here that theologians point out and it's, there's one of this casual walking. Okay, you're walking with in the council of the wicked, uh, and then standing, and then sitting. And, and so some theologians point out that there's this progression of being, being kind of stuck and settled in this path over a period of time. And it starts out with merely listening to the wrong people, hanging out with the wrong crowd, and then standing with them, and then actually sitting. The godly person has a focused direction in his or her life. And the godly person also has a focused delight in God's word. Now, I don't want to just tell you about the, 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 the direction of a godly person. I, I want to get down to what's the heart, what's the driver, what's the, what, what is it that motivates, stirs, and empowers this godly life? Because it's not merely external things. I'm not going to go see that movie. I'm not going to do this and do that. I'm not going to wear this. I'm not going to play with those particular games or cards. It's not about those things. It's about the heart that God's after. And the godly person has a, a focused delight in God's word. This is in contrast to the counsel of the wicked or the advice of the wicked. Because the, the world will give us all kinds of advice and how we should live. Make a name for yourself. Put yourself out there. It's all about you. It's all about your success. Don't worry about other people. Just, you get up the ladder and you do your thing, right? You follow your heart. There's, there's, there's advice like that that the world gives. But the Bible gives us different advice. It gives us uh, contrary advice. It, it, it teaches us how to, how to live as a salmon swimming upstream. A fish that swims against the flow of where everyone else is going. Okay? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, I want to just say this about Christianity and following God. It doesn't have to be drudgery for us. It shouldn't be. If we're characterized by drudgery, like, oh, I gotta read my Bible, I gotta pray, I gotta go to church, I, I gotta gotta say no to this thing, we're missing the point. Because it's not just about saying no to some things, it's also about saying yes to some really great things that God has for us. When When you and I delight in something or someone, we tend to gravitate towards them. We tend to spend time with them or with that thing, right? Uh, children, if you, if you received a Christmas gift this Christmas and you really don't like it, you probably don't play with it. You might have even given it away to somebody else, right? But if you got the Christmas gift that you wanted so much and you enjoy it, you're going to spend time with it. You're going to be playing with that remote control car, playing with those dolls, playing with those Hot Wheels set or those Legos or whatever it is that you got. And God has given us in his word something very delightful for us to enjoy. David described God's word as honey. It's sweet. He described God's word as, as, well, Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is something that nourishes us and it's something that delights us. But if we find in us a lack of delight, it's not because the word itself isn't delightful. It's because there's something wrong with our affections in our heart. And so the godly person has this focused delight in his word. The godly person has God's word as their dominating influence In their life, and this is where we're going to camp out. We're going to we're going to look at this idea of what this of meditation. What it is. What is it that the godly person does? How is it? What's the distinguishing mark of this godly person, in in contrast to the ungodly people of the world? Well, they delight in God's word. They have a different direction, a different trajectory in life. They're not going the way of destruction, the way of the sinners, the way of the wicked, the way of the scoffers. They're going God's way. They're following God's path for them. And they're delighting in God and his word. They're delighting and and they're meditating on his word day and night. God's word is the dominating influence in their life. It's my desire that we as a church have an increased influence of God's word in our lives in 2020. If you want a clear, if you want clear spiritual vision, then you got to be a person of the word who is meditating in it, saturating it, letting it affect every area of your life. So what is this idea of Meditation. Meditation, the, the Hebrew word to meditate. And first of all, let me, let me just say what it's not. Okay. Cause some, some folks get a little, a little bit concerned when we talk about meditation because it's used kind of in the new age sense with, with yoga. A lot of folks think that meditation is, is sitting Indian style with your legs crossed and you're clearing your mind. Don't think about anything. Now that is a, a form of meditation, but that's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation isn't clearing our mind completely of anything. Biblical meditation is filling our mind with what God says. The Hebrew word haga is to utter a sound, which which is translated meditation. It's it's listed several times in the Book of Psalms. It's uh, in Joshua one one eight, uh, and it's it's haga, and it means to utter a sound, to moan, to meditate, to mutter. The act of thoughtful deliberation with the implication of speaking to oneself the act of thoughtful deliberation with the implication of speaking to oneself meditation donald whitney in his book spiritual disciplines for the christian life says that meditation is deep thinking of the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purpose of understanding application and prayer that's what biblical meditation is and by by the way i want to recommend that book to you if you're interested in spiritual disciplines uh, and growing in those that's that's going to be one of our our focus in this series is spiritual disciplines we're focusing in on who god is and what he's called us to j.i packer says this about meditation in his book knowing god and by the way j.i packer answers the question he says how can we transfer knowledge about god into knowledge of god in other words how can we how can we guard against from merely knowing facts about god theologically but not knowing him relationally intimately and personally and j.i. packer says this is how you how you do that it's it's through biblical meditation not merely memorization not merely reading, not merely studying those are great things but but going to the next level of meditation, where you 're reflecting on thinking on pondering day and night like the psalmist that 's how you and I can commune with God, hear god 's voice through his inspired word okay we, we we meditate that is the missing link for so many Christians of why they have shallow. Christianity and shallow religion, because if it's just here mentally and it hasn't gone here to the heart relationally and and to communion with God, then you're missing the point. Now, the Pharisees did this. They searched the scriptures because they thought in them there was life, that they would find life. But they wouldn't come to Jesus, the very source of life, that they may obtain it. May we avoid that pitfall of equating Having knowing God with merely knowing about God. J.I. Packer says in, in his book, Knowing God, he says, Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and the ways and purposes and promises of God. It is the activity of holy thought consciously. Performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Now I know that's a mouthful, and you just you gotta you gotta slowly process that, like me. But I'll I'll, I'll share this later on. Um, one of the images of biblical meditation is this idea of ruminating, chewing the cud, is what cows do. Okay, God has uh, creatively designed cows to have in their stomach four compartments and what they do is they they chew the cud they eat grass and they swallow it okay they chew on it for a while okay and it's it's entertaining to watch it's it's pleasant to watch um, they they chew on the cud they swallow it they regurgitate it they chew it some more they swallow it and it, and it goes into uh each part of their their four parts of their stomach and That is the digestion process for cows. Okay? Now many of us, many of us need to do the same when it comes to God's word. We need to chew on it. A mere light reading through the Bible and glancing over it and checking off the list, I read my Bible today, isn't going to do it if we're going to digest the life and the nourishment and the power of God's truth. We got to stop and chew on it or or kids like a lollipop you don't just start biting into a lollipop right a lollipop takes some time okay you suck on it for a while you keep it there for a while and enjoy it okay savor it god's word is to be savored by you and i We're to take our time to slow down. And we, I I realize this is a challenge for us because we live in a day where our attention span and our capacity to focus has been so dumbed down by all the messages and images that we're daily bombarded with. And so I know this is a struggle. I know this is going to be exercise for us to do this. But there is great reward and great promise for those of us. Who are intentional about meditating on the Word of God, ruminating on it. Another definition of ruminating is to think, think deeply about something. Another analogy I think would be helpful is the analogy of a laser. What is a laser? Laser, lasers are animated or amplified light, focused light. And focus light—the the focus light of lasers—is very powerful. Technology uses lasers for all kinds of things, like performing surgeries and cutting things, cutting steel. Even the U.S. military has been been uh, learning how to use lasers as 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 military weapons. They've been ex- this year. They've been experimenting with lasers. Lasers are very powerful. It's light. Uh, amplified and focused highly focused and when we take the word of god which is very powerful and we let god's word focus in on our heart and particular issues in our life and we think about it and we think about it and we renew our mind with the word of god it will transform us. It's powerful to transform us and to cut things out of our lives that we need cut out of our lives. And renew our thinking, our understanding so that we think biblically and so that we walk on the path that God has for us in this life. And so use the word of God as a, as a powerful laser. It's described as a sword of the spirit. What's, what's that, what's that sword called the, the, the lightsaber. Okay. Think of the word of God, like a lightsaber that is powerful. Use the lightsaber of God's word, the sword of the spirit to first work in your own heart in your own life. But then to help others get free. Jesus himself when he when he fought against the temptations of Satan and he stood against the temptations that Satan brought his way, he quoted scripture all 3 times when he was tempted. It is written, it is written, it is written. And for you and I to do that, to follow in his footsteps, we need to know what's written. We need to spend some time reading it, studying it, memorizing it, and then meditating on it so that it will be available to us and for the Holy Spirit to use the sword of the Spirit to confront the attacks of the enemy, to stand against the schemes of the enemy, to distract us. Another analogy for you tea drinkers is the idea of steeping tea. Donald Whitney in his book, Gives an illustration of this, or describes this, and he says a simple analogy would be a cup of tea. In this analogy, your mind is the cup of hot water, and the tea bag represents your intake of scripture. Hearing God's word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. Reading and studying and memorizing God's Word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more permeating its effect. Meditation, however, is like the immersing the bag, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted from, extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish brown meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. Thus, we might say as the tea colors, the water meditation, likewise colors our thinking when we meditate on scripture, it colors our thinking about God, about God's ways in this world and about ourselves. Similarly, as the tea bag flavors, the water so thorough meditation consistently tastes, or experience the reality taught in the text. The information of the Bible becomes experience in our hearts and minds and lives. Reading the Bible tells the believer for an example of God's love. Meditation is more likely to convince him or her of it personally. And in biblical appropriate ways to cause a person to feel loved by God. Amen. David was one who practiced biblical meditation in psalm 19 it's the longest psalm in the bible 176 verses david celebrates the wonders and the excellencies of god's word of god's law okay he only had the first five books of the bible the torah written by moses right And he was ecstatic about it. He was crazy over it. You and I, saints, have 66 books in the Bible of revelation from God to know about who God is, to know his ways, and who we are, and how we are to live. If David in the Old Covenant can get super excited, overwhelmed with joy and delight over the first five books of Scripture, then you and I can do the same and even more over the entire Bible that God has given us. David said, I will meditate on your precepts. He says, my eyes are awake before the watches of night that I may meditate on your promise, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works. I will meditate. I remember the days of old. I shall meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. Even though princes sit plotting against me. Your servant will meditate on your statues. Make me to understand your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments which I love. And I will meditate on your statues. Okay. God gave a charge to Joshua. And in. in uh the old testament and this was after moses was was old and he was passing the torch on to joshua and this was his charge this was, this is what god charged joshua with as he's taking the the weighty responsibility of lead, leading the israelites into the promised land and these words echo are echoed by the psalmist in psalm 1 Joshua 1-8 says, the book, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, the word prosper and success is in this verse, and prosper is in Psalm 1, and so we need to talk about it. Though prosperity preachers have distorted the biblical message of prosperity and and twisted and distorted it, yet it is a biblical theme. God delights to see his people flourish. He des- delights to see his people grow and be all that he's designed them to be. But the world has a different measure and definition of what success and prosperity look like. For the world, the world measures success by what you have, your status. And God measures success more by our faithfulness and our obedience to what he said. For an example, the Apostle Paul. For, for many, he may not have looked like a successful, prosperous guy. Because he was beaten down and suffered shipwreck and a lot of bad things happened to him, right? Jesus, he was crucified on a cross. He may not look very successful in the world's eyes, but he did the will of God and God raised him from the dead and God used the life of the apostle Paul powerfully even so that where we're affected by the words of God that he wrote over 2,000 years later. And so God gives Joshua this charge and says, this is the key for your leadership. If you're going to do well, if you're going to lead the people well, you need to meditate on the word. You need to keep it on your mouth. Don't stop talking about it. Don't stop thinking about it and, and keep on obeying it. OK, the more we meditate and reflect on what God has said, the more prone we will to do what God has said. And God promises Joshua success if he would do this. And this is also the effects of the focused life in Psalm 1. Notice what the psalmist says about this man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. Don't you want to be like that, saints? A tree that's planted by streams of water that draws its nourishment from the water that's nearby. So the root system is getting nourished. Now when we see a tree, we see externally what's going on. The trunk, the branches, the leaves, the fruit. But under that tree and before it ever sprouted up, a root system had to take place. And for the godly life, the focused life, there is a root system that you and I have where this relationship with God, where we're delighting in God in the secret place. We're spending time with Him. We're reflecting on what He says. We're talking to Him. We're practicing what He says. Even when nobody else sees it, there's this deep root system that has to to give stability to a tree that grows. Then it has to give nourishment. To a tree that produces any fruit. They yield, he's planted by, by streams of water. When you and I are, are those who delight in God's Word and we meditate on God's Word, we will draw nourishment from rivers of grace that God has provided for us in relationship and union with Christ. He yields its fruit in season. They're fruitful. The leaf does not wither. Okay? The leaf doesn't wither. When there's, when there is drought, when there is trials and testing, when storms come and, and, and there's, there's lack of, 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 of moisture, this tree, this one planted by the rivers of water is continued, continues to nourish and persevere through it. And all that he does, he prospers. So here's, here's some of the effects of the focused life happiness okay blessed okay or i prefer the word joy uh but the word the the hebrew word here blessed means happiness happy is the man who who's not walking in the way of the ungodly okay he's just zappy things are going well for him doesn't mean that there's not hardship And and for the saints, our happiness and our joy is not based on circumstances. It's not based on our material wealth, what we have in the bank or what kind of car we drive or what kind of clothes we have or what kind of home we have or what kind of social status we have. Our joy and happiness is based on this relationship we have with almighty God because he has written our names in heaven. Jesus told his disciples, rejoice about this. Don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And when our joy and delight is based heavenly on God's eternal truths and purposes, then we won't lose it when storms and drought come, when difficult times comes, when cancer comes, when loss of loved ones come, when we lose a job, when we get fired and, and difficult things come, we have this joy and this happiness in God. We also have a stability in God. We're planted by the rivers of water. Do you want more stability in your life in 2020? You want more joy in your life in 2020? Then let the word of God be your thought on your mind and on your mouth. Think about it. Ponder it. Reflect it. Be changed by the renewing of your mind. Do you want to be more fruitful and effective in life? Then meditate on the word day and night reflect on it do you want to persevere through difficult times then meditate on the word delight in the word of god do you want prosperity as god defines it as prosperity you want flourishment you want to flourish and grow and thrive in this life then be a person who is rooted in the word perspective is another thing david said in psalm 119 because of your law Because I meditate on your law, because I, I, because of your commandments, you've made me wiser than my enemies. God's word gives you and I perspective. His perspective. The perspective that we need in this life. The perspective that we need to make wise decisions by. And lastly, passion. If you're waning in passion for the Lord, then you need to meditate on God's word. Perhaps reading Psalm 119 this week would be good for many of us and reflect on the passion that David expresses in his law. If God's word is boring to us and there's, there's little delight and there's little passion and desire to get into it, then there's something in our hearts that, that needs to be changed. We need an examination If Netflix gets us more excited than Bible reading does, then we need a change in our hearts, affections. These are the effects of a focused life. May we recapture our focus in 2020. May we, may we get a, a, a sense of order in our thought life in 2020 through being people who are in the Word meditating on the Word of God. For those of you who've been around a, a warm fire on a cold night, or you came in, you came in from outside on a cold day, and there was a fire going, for, for you to get warmth, you need to move towards that fire. You need to get closer to that fire. Okay? And, and the fire provides us not only with, with warmth, but it also provides us with light to see. The fire of God's word. As we meditate on the word of God, we get closer to the fire, and our hearts get more and more warm and stirred and passion as we focus in on what God has said. And we're able to see better around us in this dark world. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is our path for 2020 saints. This is where we're headed. We're going to be people of God's word who think about it, who ponder it, who reflect it like Mary who pondered and treasured those things in her heart of, of, of what was happening. That the Son of God had come into the world. The other option is the path of the ungodly. The way of the ungodly. Psalm 1, 4 through 6 says, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are described as, as chaff. Their life is described as vain. Nothing. That's just blown away by the wind. We are a fam- church family. That wants our lives to count. We want to make a difference. We want to do the will of God. We want to honor God. We want to help people. We want to make an impact in our world. And not live a vain life. Seeking comfort and pleasures of this life. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. In the New Testament. There's there's some similar verses that say. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Second Timothy 2. Or the ungodly in, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, are going to come to him. They've cast out demons. They've done many wonderful works. They prophesied in his name. At least they, they claim to. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Okay, that's a, those are sobering words that none of us want to hear. And I think most of us won't hear those words. Because we know Jesus. We know him intimately and accurately. And our life has fruit and evidence that we have a relationship with him. We've put our trust and our faith in him who is the way. He's he's shown us the way. And he is the way. And he knows our way. He knows us. He knows the path that he has for us. Eugene Peterson Peterson says these words he wrote these words about this psalm and he said we are not finished finding ourselves personally in psalm one until we pay meditative attention to Jesus's comprehension definition of himself in the last conversation with his disciples I am the way the truth and the life Jesus gives his life as an exposition, an incarnation, a presence of how his way works itself out in our lives. We have to figure this out in working out the details of following Jesus. The way is not only the road we take to a destination, it is also the way we live on this road. One theologian said that Jesus is the ultimate godly person in Psalm 1. Where you and I as sinners. Have failed. To keep in step with God's ways. Where you and I have stumbled. We've all sinned and we've fallen short. Of the glory of God. Jesus came and he walked the path of righteousness. Perfectly for you and I. So that you and I can be declared righteous. Righteous. By faith, by faith in Jesus, not faith in yourself and how awesome you are, or how disciplined you are or how good you can be. The gospel provides you and I with righteousness. That's imputed to us, but it also provides us with a path that we're to live by with with profound implications of how we're to live because of what God has done and who God has made us, He's put us on a new trajectory. Our lives are changed. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He's given us everything we need, and that may not look like material blessings for many of us, but whether we abound with material blessings or, or whether we're struggling to get by financially, we are blessed blessed with the relationship with god and he's given us everything we need in this life to thrive and that's my desire for you saints for you to thrive in your relationship with god to flourish to flourish in knowing and loving god and loving other people and so let's close an application focus your affections on god by finding delight in his word. Focus your affections on God. If you got if you got affections for other things of this world. Meditate on verses like 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things of this world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God lives forever. Focus your affections on God by finding delight in his word. And then focus your attention on God by meditating on God's word. This is a struggle for us. And the enemy wants to captivate our minds. He wants to distract us. And if he can get our attention, if we can get distracted, And focused on the wrong thing. Then we will be hindered and kept from being fruitful and effective in life. And doing well in life. And so we need our affections focused on God. We need our attention focused on God. And we need to allow God's word to be the dominating influence in our life. And so practically in doing this. I want to encourage you to get a Bible reading plan. Um, I've printed up a Bible reading plan that I've used. I'm going to have it on the back I want to invite everyone to join in on that. If you don't have a Bible reading plan and you want one, feel free to use that. Or find another one that works for you. And remember this, in, in going through a Bible reading plan, it's not about checking off you reading the chapters for the day. It's about you communing with God. And so whether if you just get one or two verses into the Bible reading plan for that day, but you meditate on those verses and you commune with God as a result of spending time in the Bible reading, then I would call that a success. I would call that a really good thing. Don't, don't miss the point of your Bible reading by merely trying to check off how much you get read. You want to get the Bible in your heart, in your head and in your heart, not just scroll over it with your eyes. One other application is, if you if you haven't been a part of the 2-7 series, um, come join us on Wednesday night. This is designed to strengthen the basics in your life so that you can be a person who's rooted and grounded in God's Word, memorizing God's Word, meditating on God's Word, applying God's Word, and doing it with other brothers and sisters who will hold you accountable and walk with you through it, though we all do it imperfectly. Okay. And so come join us January 8th uh, in a couple weeks when we start that. Amen. Father, thank you for your people here and for drawing us to yourself by your grace in setting our feet upon a rock and putting us on your path and blessing us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you that you haven't left us to figure out this life by ourselves with our own mere reasoning and our own mere mere willpower. I pray that you would give us the power of your spirit to be people of your word, to let your word dwell richly in us in all wisdom and and understanding, to, to meditate on what's pure and lovely and praiseworthy and of good report. To renew our minds by the truth of scripture. God change us. Do a deep work in our hearts, in our lives. God, we need it. We need you to do surgery in our hearts where we don't desire or don't delight in your words. God, would you shine light, examine us and show us what the, what the cancerous spiritual issue is in us and cut it out God do chemotherapy on us do whatever you need to do to change us and make us like David who delighted in your word who meditated on your word may it not be drudgery for us may it be delight may it be delightful discipline Teach us to say no to good things so that we can say yes to the best. And give us wisdom through your word to discern what those things are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you. May he give you his peace.